why not be emotional in our writing? Why not be emotional in our opinions? Be emotional. Oh my God, be vulnerable. I think that's, that's intensely important in our writing, I think. Hi everyone, I'm Corbin Gregg. And I'm Kate Galliford. On today's episode of Retrospect, we explore different student-run publications at Fordham Lincoln Center, including FLC's fashion mag, Flash Magazine. But first, we talk with co-editors-in-chief of Grain of Salt, one of the newest publications run by Fordham students. Kayla Otero and Rita Marie Pepe talk about what motivated them to start their own magazine featuring women and non-binary writers and artists and what sets Grain of Salt apart from other publications. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. I am joined now by Kayla Otero and Rita Marie Pepe, co-editors-in-chief of Grain of Salt magazine. Thanks for coming on Retrospect today. Thank you for having us. We're so excited. So to start off, Can you explain what Grain of Salt is and the general mission behind the magazine? Yes, Grain of Salt is an online publication for women and non-binary writers where we just try and make writing as loose, as low pressure, as stupid and wacky as you can possibly get. Um, We think that it's really important to give women and non-binary writers a platform to speak because we find that in the real world, they're usually, their words are usually taken with a grain of salt. So if that is the way in which the world sees us, so be it. I will run my mouth. So a recent Observer article covering grain of salt talks about how you came together and decided to push forward with the magazine near the end of spring semester. Can you give a bit more detail on how you came together and what motivated you to get started and create grain of salt? Yeah, um, it was definitely born out of quarantine boredom. Um, I sort of started looking into different mags and zines online. I like fell down a hole on Instagram and followed a bunch. And then I realized that I would love to do that with my friends. I think that they're the coolest and funniest people ever. And I think that their words should be shared. So I approached Rita, whom um, we share a brain. So I told her, I want to do this. And she said, why? And then we did it in like three days. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. I remember her FaceTiming me the night that she decided to come to me about it. And Kayla was just so excited about this idea. Um, and of course, me being the biggest enabler on this planet um, was like 100%, we have to do this. And you know, we have a really great group of friends who also have really great skill sets. Um, So we knew not only would we have people um, that would want to do this, but they would also be able to make it work. Um, So being able to sort of go to them and have them get really excited and have them be able to show off like what they can possibly do um, and make this happen is really, 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 really cool. Yeah, so I know that When Kate, Jackie, and I started working on this podcast, it felt like there was a lot to learn and manage and to get organized. Being stuck at home because of the pandemic obviously helped out to give us plenty of time to learn and work everything out. I can only imagine that setting up a whole new website, reaching out to writers, managing social media, and everything involved with setting up a new magazine and platform was hard. So how did you manage to pull everything together? Um, I have no idea. We sort of think of it as doing a group project together um, every single day. 
And since we're doing it with our friends, it's a lot easier um, to learn and mess up and then succeed alongside each other. So definitely a lot of Googling, a lot of um, sort of coming up with it ourselves, um, coming up with all the rules ourselves, which is just a fun way to learn and be creative. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's also all of us pulling our own different skill sets and bringing it to one space. So where I most certainly do not know everything about copy editing, Mel is right there to pick up our slack um, and point us in the right direction. Um, so really like everyone brings something different to the table that is extremely necessary to make this like machine work. But then again, it's also a lot of collaboration and a lot of like really long talks about uh, how we want to do this or approach different things. Like we spend multiple Zoom conversations just rehashing ideas um, until we get to like our, our perfect stance or our perfect um, way of working or whatever it may be. Um, and it'll, it lasts a long time. They can go on for like five hours, but like it is truly worth it and we're having fun doing it. So. Yeah, so one thing involved with organizing and getting everything together is the way you actually like put out content. So can you talk about the way Grain of Salt drops content and like for the observer we have issues? Yeah, so I guess that's another thing that, you know, when you're starting something like this, it, it grows and it changes and evolves um, every single day. So we started with a bi-weekly publication timeline where we would have these content drops um, like every second Monday. So we would have like two content drops a month and we would reach out to our writers. They would pitch to us over this fun, huge Zoom and then they would go out, they would go write, they would send it to Mel for copy and then Mel would copy it and then it would go into production for me to slap on our WordPress website. But then as we started growing and getting a lot more interest, we really had to like revisit our entire structure, which is funny when you have to rip down everything you just put on the wall and start again. So we're literally still in the middle of like rewriting our structure. But I guess that's the fun part of it because anytime that we need to start again, I mean, we're the ones that are writing the rules, so we can just do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we can just kind of control what we want to do which is such a a weird place to be in and a weird power to have um but it's nice having people working alongside us that are like eager to do this and really eager to figure it out um and yeah we're still very very early on in our game our next uh issue is going to be coming out the 13th it's only our third issue um and we're already planning how we're restructuring as Kayla said we really didn't expect this amount of support so early on but just we were so overwhelmed with like all the love and support and interest and we're so grateful that you know we can have these conversations about like how to change our mo our model and how we can grow um even though we we definitely didn't expect it this early on yeah and I think even like our mission statement kind of plays into um how we're just able to restructure at the drop of a hat like when we think it stops working like let's just start over and do it again I think that like our sloppy takes um definitely feed into our haphazard work style that's um very collage scrapbook like kind of just like pasting different things together and then if that doesn't fit right we'll just rip it up and like put a new one yeah, so you talked about it a little bit. Can you go into 
why you feel like you found such success and how you've resonated with the audience that you found? I think, I mean, even part of like why I wanted to start it was because I was like too scared to go to like really established places to like share my writing. And I thought like, if only there was a place where I could just like share my thoughts and like not be as scared to because like there were not that there are low expectations, but that there's not as much like pressure to like be absolutely perfect in it. And I think that I think a lot of people feel that way. I think a lot of people struggle with like having confidence in their writing and their creations and like being creative. They struggle with posting their work and just being proud of it and not thinking about all the criticism that they're going to get. And I think a lot of people need this place. And I think a lot of people were really excited to see that there was like somewhere that they could go into depth and elaborate on every thought that's come into their head about like film, about media, about the world around them. So I, I definitely agree with what Kayla said. Um, especially about this like pressure to be perfect. I also find that usually when, uh, especially within our age range, like the, we accept submissions from people that are aged uh, 16 to 25 years old. Um, by that time, you might feel like you're sort of like in a box. And if you, you don't really identify um, with a certain craft, like you don't actively call yourself a writer or an actress or, or something like that, um, you may feel pressure to stay away from that space or, or not give it an opportunity or a chance, even though you really want to. Um, so I think grain of salt really allows for people that may not have explored these sort of crafts before. Um, it gives them an opportunity to do so. Um, and again, all because it's a low pressure. And then of course we're hearing um, voices of young women and young non-binary folk. Um, and that's extremely important to us as well. Um, as Kayla said earlier too, that these are the voices that we want to specifically uplift, um, since they're the voices that oftentimes get shut down. Yeah. That's one of the things I've noticed is that you seem to be resonating a lot with your audience because you give a very specific group a platform that is at times not as well represented. So you could, you speak a little bit more to the importance of creating a platform? specifically went for, meant for young women and non-binary folks? It's people of that population that are the most, like, not taken seriously. It's, it's those people that feel the most pressure when they're in spaces, when they're in classrooms, when they're in, like, workspaces, that they walk into a room and they think, like, man, I don't think my words are being taken as seriously as the person next to me. And that goes as well. We want to uplift people of all different diverse identities, people of color people from the LGBTQ plus community, because I feel like a lot of the times they're discouraged to use their identity when they're talking about different topics, when they're talking about the world around them. And I think that it's so valuable that like they use their identity and their specific perspective when they talk about things like that, because that's how we learn how different people are seeing the world. That's how we like gain empathy. That's how like art should evolve. So I think it's so important that, especially as Rita said, like people that aren't, you know, encouraged to be writers or like they weren't writing from the womb. So they think maybe I'm not a writer. Um, it's really, really important that we hear their voices. I would also uh, agree with Kayla, with what Kayla said about um, feeling the need to have like that perfectly crafted idea, um, especially being someone that might identify as uh, a woman or, or non-binary um, or being a group where you 
have your voice sort of shut down or not taken as seriously. Like there, there is that pressure where, um, unless you're saying everything perfectly, then it doesn't really matter. And that's not really the case at all. Like your opinions and your ideas and your thoughts like are still extremely valued. And a lot of the times the way in which you build your values and your beliefs over time is through writing and through talking things through. But if you don't have that space to do so, because from the get go, you're, you're so pressured to have it already perfect. Um, then like that, that just like blocks the entire process or this entire learning process, which is one reason why I also really value what we're doing because I want to see people learn through their writing um, and craft these ideas because sometimes going into it, like we'll have like uh, creators say, oh, I want to talk about this, but I'm not really sure where it's going to go yet. I have two different ideas or like two different paths I want to follow or I want to do more research about it. And that's like perfectly fine. Like use this as the opportunity to do that research, to do that learning, to explore these different, these different ideas. Um, and you know, like being able to write it and then being able to post it somewhere. So for like other people to see is a great incentive in order to do that learning. Yeah. One thing that stands out about grain of salt style is that you allow writers and artists to express themselves pretty much however they want. And that obviously goes into um, what you talked about before, making a space that's comfortable for writers. So can you talk about how not having standard punctuation or grammar rules benefits your writers and your platform in general for allowing people to express themselves? I, I mean, I feel like there's two ways to answer this. The first one is that I don't text with punctuation or with uppercase letters. And <laughs> that's how I want to see like social media posts. Because when, when we were beginning, we were like, how do we uh, like approach our age group without like coming off as some like stiff, like weird, like how you doing kids like company brand. And it was like, okay, let me just like text like, you would be texting our friends and it creates like a more comfortable space because then like people can comment in all lowercase or we like send emails back and forth with all lowercase. It just, I feel like, you know, not having a very like stiff punctuation grammar structure allows for people to see us as more approachable, to see the community as more approachable, to see maybe writing as more approachable. It makes things more accessible. And I think that the population that we're also trying to approach needs that accessibility in in order to like feel encouraged to write. I think it's also not only in like the grammar and the punctuation, but also almost in the tones that we allow our writers to write in. Um, Because, you know, like in real life, when I'm in conversation with my friends about these really serious topics or very vulnerable discussions, a lot of the times we fall upon humor in order to make these really heavy topics seem more bearable because it can be very emotionally draining, but it's still necessary to have these conversations. So being able to use humor as a way to like provide some emotional comfort is really, really useful. Um, And, you know, allowing our writers to also do that in their actual articles, I think helps the writing process a lot and the process of getting your, like, your feelings and your thoughts on paper or your computer screen, wherever you do your first draft. Um, and it, it also, you know, allows them to like 
keep their own individual voice. Um, and, you know, it's fun to read. Like, it's just, it makes it so much more fun to read when they add their, like, own jokes and their humor. And again, if it's going to be taken with a grain of salt anyway, why shouldn't we say it the way we want to say it, you know? Yeah, adding on to that, I think tone, like our freedom in tone is so important because particularly like our writers, like being women and non-binary people, like they're so discouraged to be emotional about things. Like if it's emotional, it's not serious or academic. So then that's ridiculous. The world is emotional. We need to be emotional sometimes to process certain topics. And emotions are valuable when we're trying to figure out the world. So why not be emotional in our writing? Why not be emotional in our opinions? Be emotional. Oh my God, be vulnerable. I think that's, that's intensely important in our writing, I think. Yeah, going off of that and getting towards tone, Kayla, one way that you've described this is that you want the writing to be unfiltered or edgy. How do you think that this affects the overall content of your magazine? And what kind of messages are you able to share because of that, that you wouldn't necessarily be able to otherwise? I think the pieces on our website are this awesome mix of personal and objective. I think that, you know, thinking about um, a, a piece that a contributing writer wrote about how she felt about the pride parade being canceled because on one hand, Corona, oh my God. And on the other hand, corporations don't deal with the LGBTQ community well. And there are stats about that. There are facts about that, but also like, how do you feel about that? And she described it so eloquently. Um, and I think that, both having both like unfiltered so that you can weave your emotions into it. You can like weave your personal opinions and whether it be edgy or not, like that's so important. We need both of those things in order to have like a holistic idea. I think there's also um, in the way that we approach it and the way that we say, like we use the words like unfiltered and edgy is something different than maybe the internet takes right now. Um, when you use those two words and that's not the way the internet sees it isn't exactly the way that we see it like we are of course respecting people of different identities we're not letting anything that is considered like hate speech or anything like that discrimination that is, has no place in grain of salt um of course that has no place in grain of salt um when we say unfiltered and and, and edgy i feel like that uh ties more specifically to our whole thing about like unapologetically sloppy takes um that you know you can have these like ideas and they're not that perfectly crafted so they they have their like edges and like their jagged edges like they're not perfectly smooth you know um but we're, we'll still take them um and we still want to hear them um and then also like again like you specifically brought up the pride Piece, which I think is a great example, you know, like pride is something that is so like loved by the community, by the LGBT community. And there is uh, talk about how like, you know, like pinkwashing and corporations really just using it as a way to um, have people feed uh, money directly to their companies, basically. Um, but, you know, she, like in that piece, our writers specifically explored like her own feelings about like her, even just her friends taking advantage of it um, and using it as an excuse to party. Um, and you know, that, that is a little edgy. That's a little unfiltered. That's calling out the people that you are surrounding yourself with and your friends, you know? Um, so I think that's what we mean by edgy and unfiltered. I think um, it's important that was, that that distinction is made, especially in the age that we kind of live in right now. 
Do you have any final thoughts for anyone who's listening, either how to get involved with the magazine or obviously you've talked about how it's evolving over time and there are things that are changing as you're finding uh, increased audience, uh, increased writers who may want to write for you, uh, where you are going with Grain of Salt in the future? If you've even had a second thought about submitting, just submit, please. We want to hear literally any idea that you've ever had in your entire life, as long as it's under a thousand words. Like we want to share everyone's ideas. We want to uplift everyone's most personal and unfiltered thoughts. And we want to encourage people to grow in their ideas through writing because it's such an awesome medium. Um, And even art, any art, we consider anything art, not anything, but like mostly anything art. If it's your art, we love it and we find it valuable. We find everyone's ideas to be valuable. So yes. Yeah, and definitely make sure to follow us on Instagram. Um, It's at grain of salt mag. Um, Give us a follow. You'll keep up with like what we're doing uh, and see like the content that we're promoting on our Instagram. Even if you're not totally sure about wanting to submit yourself at first, like just seeing the kind of material that we have out there and it's, it's quite a range. <laughs> so there, there is a place for everyone. Um, even if sometimes you may feel unsure if like, this is okay. Like truly we, we range from talking about things such as like heteronormativity to like in the ex- upcoming weeks, we'll have one of our friends write like hard dissertation on happy feet, the movie. Um, so like truly a range of content you could see it all on our Instagram. And then of course, check out the website for everything as well, which is grainofsaltmag.wordpress.com. And we also have a submissions page uh, on the website that will um, update frequently, especially as we start um, sort of reshaping our submissions process. Um, so you can check that out for more information, the themes that, we're, that we'll be announcing, uh, how to submit content and things like that. But most importantly, just thank you to, to everyone that's been following us so far. Um, again, we did not expect it to grow as fast as we did. Like we, we were like expecting it to be like friends and family and like peers and stuff first. Um, but, you know, we passed like the 500 follower mark on Instagram the other day. And we've only been here for like, what, a month maybe? Um, so it's, it's been really, really cool. So thank you. Kayla and Rita? Thanks so much for coming on the show today. I hope you all continue to find success with Grain of Salt, and I look forward to seeing what comes next from all y'all over there. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Next, we talk to members of the Flash Magazine creative team about the political and social influences of the Black Lives Matter movement on their latest special summer edition. I'm joined now by various members of the editing board for Flash Magazine, a student-run fashion editorial magazine. Thank you all for joining me today to talk about Flash. Firstly, uh, I would love for you all to go around and introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about your role on the magazine. Hi, my name is Paula Idris. I'm the creative director for Flash Magazine and Mostly my role is to basically oversee all creative and aesthetic things that go on in the magazine, as well as like helping to come up with themes for the issue and working with other layout designers. Currently we do not have any, but soon we will. But um, yeah, just working with, uh, with layouts and illustrations and curating other artworks 
that we would like to feature in the magazine. Um, hello, I'm Nishida. I'm the editor-in-chief of the magazine. I basically edit all of the work on every issue, help Willa come up with themes, oversee the drafts of the issue. So kind of when all the layouts are put together, I'm going over the whole thing, help source writers, artists, photographers, and that's about it. So I'm Chloe Philopoulos. I'm the social media editor. Essentially my job is to handle our social media as well as kind of post the outreach and I guess message and connect with people via direct message and then kind of send our collaborators on to the different editors and kind of make sure what people want to submit and their kind of collaborations are nurtured and taken care of and everything. So kind of the gateway person, midway person to get things started and things like that. I'm Marina Vergara. I'm the culture editor. And basically my role is to edit and help come up with pitches and theme like for different articles for the culture section. And I work with my assistant editor, Jacqueline, who can't be here right now, but she's great. And we work together to edit articles and make sure they're the best that they can be. My name is Shayla Lloyd. I run the fashion section and basically I just look for people who are interested in writing about fashion, but also just problems in the industry and what they're interested in or like passionate about. So I'd love to talk a little bit about the origins of Flash and how it came to be. So when was it started and who started it and what was the inspiration behind creating it? So we didn't actually start Flash. Flash was created, I think, in 2012 by a bunch of students actually at Rose Hill. And then it moved, I guess, a little later to Lincoln Center. And since then, it's been based out of Lincoln Center, mostly with LC writers. And originally, it was kind of focused on fashion, students interested in fashion. I know when I started, it was a huge thing for fashion minors to be a part of Flash because that's what that's the section it was known for and then since then we it's kind of expanded from fashion and or beauty to something a lot bigger so you've got culture and we recently added an opinion section which kind of gives it a little less focused of a structure I suppose. We used to be a school club for a very long time and I think last year we got taken out of being a school club I suppose for Emma to pursue other opportunities and now we're kind of working on how to navigate that but still be you know a part of Fordham and still connect with the Fordham community at Lincoln Center and Rose Hill without any restrictions or editorial restrictions as such. So what sort of content do you feature in Flash and what is the process like to submit work and have it published and what sort of thinking goes behind that? So for each issue, at least for the two that we've worked on, basically we start off with like an idea, trying to come up with a theme for that specific issue and then try to put out like posts like on Instagram and trying to send out emails through our media department and the fashion minor department and just anyone we can so we can get writers artists and any photographers that are interested in working with us and that's like the whole like trying to get people in process and then like eventually like editors will work with each writer trying to edit each article through like different stages 
one rounds and then like two rounds of edits and then creative wise we just try to go through people who are interested in illustrating who are interested in photography and things like that and try to assign them to different articles so they can make pieces specifically for that but this issue our current issue was a little bit different because we just wanted to highlight specifically like people of color and there wasn't anything like trying to like connect people with articles or whatever it was just strictly for highlighting people but that was our usual process in terms of like for culture basically like as Bola said we definitely like reach out to people and send out like email blasts to like previous writers and people who we think would be interested in writing for our issue and basically like sometimes we have pitches in mind other times we leave it up to the writers to pitch ideas to us especially with this current issue the majority of it was the writers like sharing their stories and like we didn't really have a ton of pitches for them because we wanted to highlight their voices. I know that the latest edition of the magazine I think is your first ever summer special edition right titled Expressions of the Unseen. So is that something you were looking to do already like a special summer edition or was it something that came around specifically in response to political and social issues that have arisen like in relation to the Black Lives Matter movement and just did you feel a need in this moment to be able to uplift and celebrate people of color and students of color at Fordham or was this something that was kind of in the works for a while? So originally we weren't planning on doing a summer issue um, just because before even before like the Black Lives Matter movement it was just the quarantine and we just didn't know how to continue our spring issues so we postponed everything to the fall but in light of everything that started happening um, Nishida was the one who brought up the idea to me saying like we definitely need to you know use our platform and try to highlight people of color and also acknowledge the situation and and also it's just like we just didn't feel like it was okay to just sit still and not try to publish something, at least something that's worth reading, something for different voices to be heard. It was definitely like not planned, but it started by what was going on currently. It was kind of a hot-headed proposal on my part, I think. We actually had a content for a spring issue in the works before school shut down and we were unable to continue. And that content had to be postponed. And my initial idea was let's just do our next scheduled issue. Let's just create all new content for that. And we both realized that that was a terrible idea just because we already had all this content and had all this hard work put in. But I still wanted to make something that spoke to what we were all feeling, I think. And I wanted to make something that you know, satisfied the people making it, not just the people reading it or, you know, was necessarily relevant. Of course it was relevant, but that wasn't necessarily the point. The point was, if you're going to be a part of this issue, then you should be as satisfied with it as, you know, everybody else involved and you should feel, it should be a platform for you to make yourself heard. And I think that that was like the underlying concept with when I, pitch this to Boilla, but we also talked a lot about the idea of doing what you can. You don't have to be, you know, an activist in the most traditional sense, but there are a lot of ways 
that you can contribute. And I guess like the thought process behind this issue is also what is one of the most significant ways that we can contribute. And for me and Bawilla, it was this magazine. So, you know, pulling this together was not only a way to make our voices heard and the creator's voices heard, but it was also representative of us doing what we can and not you know, not feeling or being performative, but really doing something for the people around us and ourselves that would impact a number of people, no matter how large that number was. And you guys are actually donating the proceeds to a couple of different organizations, right? You, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, we picked two. So, that, I mean, they're like a billion trillion that I would absolutely love to give money to, but um, with we wanted, we kind of wanted to center to one or two just so we can really try and impact them with our donation at least. So the two that we're donating to are Black Trans Femmes in the Arts, which is a sponsored project, and Black Girl Magic, which is its own organization. And, you know, it's just more of doing what we can, donating to people who need to have their voices heard and who need support to keep, keep changing the world. So obviously, Flash is curated by, created by Fordham students, and it features the art created by Fordham students. But beyond that, what sort of, what does Flash emulate that represents the Fordham community, or maybe New York, where we're located? What kind of makes it unique and specifically makes it accessible, relatable, consumable to Fordham students? The editors have like pitches and you know there's always like a direction that we go for different themes but we always strive to like make sure that each writer has their own voice and everything is unique and I think like also the artwork that we feature and like the photographers that join us um, we try to like stay atypical nothing really like cookie cutter or standard so um, just like always trying to like do something different, strive for something more than like staying stagnant. I think Flash is more like a flowing river that's ever changing. And, you know, I'm not sure how it's gonna look like in the next semester or in the spring, but definitely different like as time goes on. I guess I kind of wanted to add on that too. I think what's really cool about us is like, we are very, Fordham based because mainly like our editing board is all kind of Fordham students but I think what's cool is we're not exactly like Fordham like directly Fordham affiliated so I think like kind of what's very like specific to Fordham and our own campus is that like it's people from all around the world with different views and perspectives coming into a school where it's not just kind of like your communities on campus it's like your community is New York City it's all the boroughs it's everywhere and so I think being able to have a community where Fordham students come together and they may say oh I know this person I have this really cool friend at Parsons or FIT or literally across the country it doesn't really matter we're not really confined in that way and I think that allows for people all over the world to kind of give their perspective and people who know people who know people it kind of gives that train and allows for a lot more people to kind of share their stories and views and art and things like that. So I think that's pretty cool. Going off of that, as a transfer student, what attracted me to like to the team was just being able to 
collaborate with other creatives and to really get my perspectives and ideas out there and to have people build off of that and to work with them to create something was really fun and interesting and it's also a growing experience so so we talked a little bit about how flash has been around for a while since 2012 and so what are some of the ways that you've had to adapt as a magazine or that the magazine has evolved under your work as a creative team because i know obviously traditionally print form media is struggling a lot right now um, in many cases just because the digitalization that's happening experience that here at the observer and kind of balancing digital versus print that's one of the reasons why this podcast started was just as a response to like what are people interested in that sort of thing so how has flash responded to that and what can we kind of expect from you guys going forward i think well flash wasn't originally print actually it was the well quote unquote print but it would be published an issue and that was the only way that people would see flashes on the website so I wouldn't I don't think I'd count that as print necessarily even though you can see it in a print format but one just kind of like to get to the digitization question one of our main decisions when we first when Bawilla and I first came onto this board was to make a print version of flash since I don't, since print it's dying but it's still a great way to consume media and it's still you know it's a really nostalgic way to view art and literature and that was I think that was something I kind of wanted that nostalgia to be related to flash as well because you know it's been around for maybe not that long but quite a while and then you know to optimize digitization because I guess if I'm, I'm counting issue as digitization. So to kind of optimize that digital component, we're actually releasing a website pretty soon. I think it's coming out at the end of the week with all our content. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say Flash is really print-born, but we're definitely, even though print is dying, we're still trying to associate that enjoyment of just turning the page with Flash along with, you know, this optimized digital component of having, having our own website rather than going through issue because it's not necessarily as consumable if you're going through that site. Now, I think I just want to talk about, you know, what can people do to support Flash and where can we find you on social media and how can people buy copies? You can find us on issue.com slash Flash Magazine. Um, every issue that was ever made, I guess, since 2012 um, is up on there. So. You can check us out there, our website that will come out at the end of this week, Sunday, for sure, going by flashmaglive.com. So you'll see unreleased articles that aren't in print. You'll see other like artists and their work also published there as well. And then you can also support um, by buying a print issue on magcloud slash flashmag. We just have two issues up right now, which is our fall issue and then this current one. And then you can also find us on Flashmag on Instagram. Thank you all so much for joining me today. It was such a pleasure to be able to hear from all of you. And I just wanted to say that the magazine and in particular this edition is just really impressive. The work is so beautiful and it's just absolutely worth checking out and buying a copy especially because it's supporting such great causes. And 
I really couldn't recommend it more to anyone who's listening and is thinking about checking it out. It's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been Retrospect. Special thanks to all of our guests for coming on the show today, as well as our producer, Jacqueline Pierce. I'm Corbin Grigg. And I'm Kate Galliford. Until next time, stay safe, wear your masks, and support student publications.